Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Welcome to this week's episode of Best Camp of My Life, a podcast about MMA. Kind of, but not really, but kind of. I'm your host, Fernanda Prates, unless this is a sixth sense slash the others type of situation. In which case, spoiler alert, I am kind of still Fernanda Prates in that I have the thoughts and feelings of Fernanda Prates, but I'm no longer Fernanda Prates in that I am dead, and therefore I'm not Fernanda Prates in the more literal interpretation of the verb to be. Being dead would really put a major damper on my relatively unambitious plan to not be dead, but hey, what you gonna do? In any case, that's really no major cause for concern. Not until I become a resentful poltergeist who dedicates its life or death to wreaking havoc among those who wronged me anyway. For now, I'm still the humble host of this weekly podcast with no major ambitions other than to bring you analysis, interviews, and in the case of this very special episode that I may or may not have hastily scrambled together fueled by a mix of Advil, caffeine, and the saltiest of tears, Awards too! Yes, you heard that right. Today we are doing a totally original thing that totally isn't being done by the rest of the internet and picking the best of MMA in 2020. But like, in a dumb way. Because how else would we do it? Enjoy it, or don't. But keep in mind that this isn't a real awards show, that these are in real categories, and that our renowned panel of experts is formed by a lone person who just opened a podcast episode in 2020 with an M. Night Shyamalan reference. Adjust your expectations accordingly. First category is the Heartbreak of the Year Award. Frankly, I didn't even have to think about this one that much. The winner is Joseph Benavides losing to Davison Figueiredo at UFC Fight Island in July. As we know, this was actually Benavides' second loss to Figueiredo this year, and both were very sad in their own special little ways. But the first one had that accidental headbutt. Obviously, Figueiredo didn't get the title because he had missed weight. There was still some room for what-ifs, I think. So the whole thing ended up being just more anticlimactic than it was downright depressing. The rematch, however, it still stings, man. It still stings. This is no shade to Figueiredo, by the way. I just, I just think that as much as we have embraced him, not only as a champion, but as a key player for the division, Benavides is one of those guys who just seemed owed a belt at this point, you know? He had just been at the top of the division for so long and he had come so close. It just felt like it would be kind of cosmically unfair for him to retire without a title. 
obviously he hasn't retired so who knows he might get the chance to do it again but to me it felt like this was the make or break moment the final countdown the time the universe had planned for this to happen and then the universe was like fuck you all i don't care about your plans i'm just not gonna give joby a title and then i'll also melt your planet and then i'll put jared kushner in it so yeah we had some sad retirements and some heartbreaking stories and some other moments that made me tear up a bit, I admit. But this, still not over it, man. Still not over it. Now for the second category, also on the same theme, Heart Snuggles of the Year. This is one of those where I feel like recency bias might be playing a role, but I'm just going to go ahead and pick that moment with Anderson Silva and Uriah Hall after Uriah beat him at the UFC Apex in November. Obviously, this wasn't the first time we saw a fighter paying another fighter respect, but I just think it was the whole situation. We were at that point of sort of maybe, who knows, perhaps treating it like Silva's retirement, and though he didn't look terrible in that fight, there was that ping of sadness in seeing this guy who at one point looked so unbeatable looking that beaten. It would have been an emotionally charged occasion in and of itself, I believe, but then Hall not celebrating and going up to Silva and then the two just being there on their knees, quietly sharing a moment. I'm just saying... If I had a heart that isn't made of chaos and darkness and beef jerky, it would have probably been moved by the whole scene. Next up, the how many goddamn lives can this person have, Jesus Christ, please stop making us look like lazy underachievers award. Honestly, I had some competition for this one. I had originally thought about Jose Aldo, Rafael dos Anjos, and Anthony Smith, but to me the big winner this year is still Glover Teixeira. I shouldn't need to justify my awards, being that this is my show and I do whatever the fuck I want with it, but I'll do it anyway, because I am, if nothing else, a benevolent dictator. You know, like Tito. Yugoslavia's Tito, obviously. Not the Tito that MMA has unfortunately had to claim. But we'll get to that eventually. Back to the point of Teixeira. This is a man who is now 41 and on a five-fight winning streak. Now, I know what you're thinking. Yeah, but you know it is the light heavies, which I reply, yes, light heavies aren't the greatest division. But look at the names. Carl Robertson, Ion Kutalaba, Nikita possibly problematic but still kind of alluring Krilov, Anthony Smith, and Thiago Maheta. Both Smith and Maheta were this year, and Teixeira didn't just win. He went to work. We all remember how ugly the Smith beating was. And then he submitted Maheda, who you may or may not remember, his last fight had been that amazing title fight that he may or may not have won against Joan Jones. But more than just this year, Teixeira just has such a great story. He was a beast in the local circuit, and we all knew he was UFC caliber. But he had visa issues, and he couldn't get into the US for the longest time. It was a whole thing. He still managed to get in and get all the way to a title fight with Jones. But then he lost decisively, got a little inconsistent, dealt with some injuries. And I do think that we, myself included, weren't expecting him to go much further than that. And then, before we knew it, this very chill man was beating a bunch of younger dudes and asking for another title shot. I often wonder what would have happened if Teixeira had managed to get into the UFC two years before he did at his actual physical prime, but I would argue that him becoming a champion at 40-something would look even cooler in a possible biography that I am, as of this moment, volunteering to co-write. 
The next category, still in this general vicinity, is how are you still alive, let alone fighting an occasion stuff award? Again, I had a contender for this one, and former UFC title challenger Brian Ortega, who managed to have his entire face Picassoed by Max Holloway and come back 22 months later with that win over the Korean zombie. However, this category has to belong to Jeff Neal. In case you are not familiar with Neal, he just fought Steven Thompson at the UFC Apex this past weekend, about four months after legitimately almost dying. No, this is not an exaggeration. This is a man who went into septic shock and had congestive heart failure and had to be put on dialysis in August, which, might I add, may or may not have had something to do with a previous COVID infection. Again, this man was fearing for his life in August, and then in December, he made fucking weight and fought one of the top welterweights in the entire world for five whole rounds. I don't care if he lost the fight. He deserves all the awards. For everything. Forever. I might just call this the Jeff Neal show next year. Who knows? Next category is Plot Twist of the Year. I'm declaring this one a tie between Habib Nurmagomedov's surprising retirement and that time that Joan Jones stood up against Dana White, called attention to fighter pay, and low-key became a voice against corporate greed. Next up, the Valentina Shevchenko Award for Superiorly Built Humans. And the winner is Valentina Shevchenko, who remains a superiorly built human. Next category is the Was That Really Necessary Award. Now, if you remember, 2019 was the year of the coronation of one Jorge Masvidal. It was the year of the Darren Till upset. It was the year of the Ben Askren knee and its super necessary follow-up. It was the year of Nate Diaz and Madison Square Garden and the baddest motherfucker belt. And this was all in the UFC cage. Outside of it, Masuda was making the leap to the mainstream and really solidifying himself as one of the biggest stars in the roster. The man was funny, he had swagger, he had this amazing background story, and he just oozed authenticity. Pair it with big finishes and voila. They should have just named 2019 as the year of the Masvidal. But in came 2020 and things took a bit of a turn. Masvidal's political stances started to become a little more out there. And even though he did do something pretty damn cool by accepting a last-minute fight with Chim Kamaru Usman, traveling all the way to Abu Dhabi and basically saving UFC 251, it became harder and harder to ignore the kind of stuff he was using his pretty massive platform to propagate outside the cage. Masvidal was, for example, one of the prominent people repeatedly claiming election fraud on his Twitter account. He used a QAnon hashtag when posting a false Kurt Cobain quote in reference to Donald Trump. He spread misinformation about COVID and its spread in Florida. He joined Donald Trump Jr. on a Fighters Against Socialism bus tour. He apparently thinks Joe Biden is a socialist. Basically, he became that 2020 guy, she said, sighing deeply. Now, I absolutely understand that not everyone has to think like me. 
I know that with the background of his family under the Castro regime in Cuba, Masvidal sees the world around him in a different light than I do. I'm not saying Masvidal doesn't know struggle, because he certainly does, or that he isn't entitled to his opinions, which he certainly is. But using your massive platform and reach to spread conspiratorial thinking and unproven or downright false information, was that really necessary? Next up, the Put Some Respect on My Name Award. I hereby declare double Bellator champion Patricio Pitbull Freire, the retroactive four-time winner of this award that didn't exist four years ago or even last year and will probably never exist again. Granted, Pitbull only fought once this year, but his starching of Pedro Carvalho was emphatic enough to remind us of the sheer intensity of his badassness. Badassity? Badassitude? Either way. The fact that he's not in the UFC ends up keeping Pitbull from being in a lot of lists where he absolutely belongs. So here's my small token of appreciation for the champ champ. Next and final category on this segment of the show is how is this still a thing award? Now, I know listeners of this podcast are tired of hearing me talk about this. I know I've spoken extensively about it. I've written extensively about it. I've tweeted extensively about it. I've spent a considerable, some would say alarming, amount of time, energy, and sanity on the issue. However, recent events have led me to believe that despite all my efforts, my job isn't yet done. So it is with a heavy heart that I bestow the How Is This Still a Thing award on the Mackenzie Dern accent debate. Yes, my friends, as I have recently noticed from cursory glances at social media, people on the internet, as in men on the internet, remain absolutely fixated with the fact that Mackenzie Dern's accent has changed over the years. And as absolutely ridiculous as the whole concept is, I feel like I would be shirking my responsibilities as a bilingual journalist if I didn't give this just one more shot. So here it goes. Mackenzie Dern was born in the U.S., but she has spent her life traveling back and forth between the U.S. and Brazil. Her dad is Brazilian. Her husband is Brazilian. She went to high school in the U.S., which means that as a teenager, she was probably spending a lot of time speaking English on her everyday life. She is now, again, married to a Brazilian, which means she's probably not speaking as much English in her everyday life. And if that still doesn't solve the mystery for you, I ask you a simple question. Why the fuck would she be faking an accent? If your answer is to appeal to the Brazilian audiences, I would advise you to maybe say this aloud to yourself in front of a mirror and realize how endlessly, enormously, hopelessly stupid you sound. Seriously, just take a second to let these words leave your mouth and enter your brain through your ears. Mackenzie is also Brazilian. She speaks perfect Portuguese. Why the fuck would she need to fake an accent to appeal to an audience that she can communicate directly to? With what purpose? What kind of evil master plan is that? Also, have you tried faking an accent and maintaining it? It's really fucking hard. I, for one, have tried to do a quote-unquote typical Brazilian accent several times, and I, a Brazilian, am no good at it. So unless Dern has also been taking some very ridiculous lessons for a very ridiculous reason why she's not too busy being a high-level athlete and raising a child, I fail to see how she could successfully pull this off. 
I know that small men on the internet need something to pick on successful women for, but I sincerely hope that next year brings along a different batshit obsession. I trust you to use your creativity, guys. With that off my chest, we move forward to the second part of this prestigious award show that actually involves no prestige and no actual awards. The moment no one has been waiting for because, again, this whole thing is a ridiculous charade and no one cares. It's Twitter category time. That's right. I asked Twitter to give me their suggestions of weird and entirely unreasonable categories for this weird and entirely unreasonable episode. And as usual, you guys really pulled through. We start the segment with a category suggested by Seth slash Catfish MMA. And that is, drumroll, worst political take. This, as you can imagine, was a very tight race, considering literally everything. But as a tiebreaker, I chose a man who, not satisfied with simply verbalizing his terrible political takes, decided to step up and truly act on them. This is a man not just of bad words, but also of bad action, which is somewhat commendable in a world where so many pathetic grifters hide behind their YouTube channels. I am, of course, referring to the one and only Tito Ortiz, the anti-masker and anti-COVID vaxxer who got elected to the Huntington Beach Council this year and seems to be handling everything pretty much like we expected him to. Unfortunately, there aren't enough minutes on this podcast or, frankly, in my lifetime to truly cover the whole situation that is Tito Ortiz. But... If for some reason you haven't had enough sadness in your life, I shall refer you to Twitter's Buhashinha Depot at FullContactMTWF, the go-to account for all Tito-related content and the definitive authority on matters of words. How do they work? Now, this next category was suggested by Jordan Mallory, aka our lovely producer and editor who saw that no one was replying to me on Twitter and probably wanted to make me feel better. Category is goofiest looking hole that was probably really painful, actually. I don't know if goofy is exactly the word, but I've got to say the knee bar that Ariane Lipsky got on Luana Carolina at UFC Fight Island in July. She got it from this super awkward position after this really odd scramble, and the whole thing just had no business resulting in a submission. Alas, it did. A horrifying one at that that caused a partial tear to Carolina's left ACL and a medial tibia edema, according to an MMA fighting story. Carolina is okay, by the way, and didn't need surgery, but I, uh, for one, still find myself waking up in cold sweats, fully convinced that my knees are now on backwards. Next category is a suggestion from Raging Potato, who picked the worst call-out of 2020. Um... I'll, I'll just start by saying that if this wasn't a 2020 thing, but more like a lifetime achievement type of thing, I would just say whoever the UFC wants me to fight is always the worst call out. However, in accordance with today's theme, I'm just going to broadly say anything involving a Paul brother. A Paul brother calling people out, a Paul brother getting called out, a Paul brother being mentioned in passing, just the general concept of a Paul brother. I 
really hate to feel like an old woman yelling for YouTuber kids to get out of her lawn. And frankly, I'm not even existentially opposed to the existence of the Paul brothers, but it's just, we've been through enough, you know, as a people this year. Like, I feel like I'm using enough energy to just remain like a, a vertically operating human and hating on the guy who plays with Miguel's dad on that Netflix show. So I just, I really have no bandwidth for the polls anymore. Next category, now from Brandon Boyd, not the lead singer of Incubus. Category is best MMA personality that could also be a Bond villain. Now, just hear me out. And take a second to picture it. Gegard Musasi. You're welcome. Now we actually have three categories from the same person who goes by, I kid you not, Big Warn Dog. We start with the Best Tattoo Award. This one is hard because there are several fighters with good artwork, but they're usually the ones who have several tattoos. So it's hard for me to pinpoint a single design. Therefore, I'm going to go with most improved tattoo and give the award to Alex Volkov's back tattoo cover-up. Granted, Japanese samurai masks are a little cliche, but his is really well made, the proportions are great, and most importantly, it covers the entirety of that hideous tribal-ish Monterey thing he had before. That, my friends, is what I call growth. And this dare I say, is what the show is all about. Which brings us also on a more wholesome note to the Moral Victory Award. Again, there might be a little bit of a recency bias here, but I have to give it to Brandon Moreno. Just to recap, this is a guy who got cut from the UFC not that long ago, returned, got slightly screwed out of one title shot, then got an actual title shot with just three weeks to prepare, then fought Figueiredo, ate everything the man threw his way for five rounds of sheer insanity, and then, not satisfied with all of that, he proceeded to charm the fuck out of us on his post-fight speech as the adorable human corgi that he is. Easy pick. Next category... Also from Raging Sweet Potato, award for the highest ranked fighter that didn't actually compete this year and no one noticed. I know you're going to be mad at me, but trust me when I say that this one hurts me more than it hurts you. Number three ranked featherweight Zabit Magomed Sharipov. And now for the final and arguably the most important category of the evening. The Tanner Bowser Mullet of the Year Award goes to... Tanner Bowser! Yay! Unfortunately, Mr. Bowser was unable to give an acceptance speech due to these awards not really being a thing and not mattering to anyone. Uh, but thank you 
to Mr. Bowser for allowing our tired 2020 eyes to find much needed comfort in his luscious mane, and to Darren Riding for suggesting this category. I'd also like to take the opportunity uh, to thank everyone who sent suggestions, even if ultimately I couldn't use best surprisingly tasty microwavable frozen snack food, uh, or best use of a frivolous lawsuit in service of a failed election bid in this particular context. I appreciated them nonetheless, and I hope you all find the answers that you are looking for. And that is it for today's episode. In this holiday season, consider avoiding unsafe gatherings and not calling that ex who says Jordan Peterson is not misogynistic, just misunderstood. This has been the best camp of my life. Happy holidays. See you next week. <laughs>